And I just started looking into it and reading about the science. And every day that I learned stuff, I felt a little bit better. And after like months and months of doing that, I realized like, I don't blame myself anymore. I don't think I'm a loser anymore. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the Build and Spray Best podcast. Happy Thursday. Um, let me start off by saying like two disclaimers. One, so, so, so very sorry about last week's episode. Like truly, I don't know what happened. I felt like I recorded a really awesome episode and then it came out and it was like 10 minutes long and it cut off like right as I was like starting like the bulk of the content. And then it was like so late in the afternoon. I had no energy left. I was so frustrated. So then like my mood re-recording it was like shit. To be frank, um, I also didn't like, didn't take any notes. I don't know why that was so hard for my, my head to find. Um, but like, I didn't take any notes about what I was going to say. So then re-recording it, I felt like I didn't even remember any of the things that I really said besides like the starting point of the episode. Um, so I know it was not my best work. I honestly, like it really, ate me up from the inside out for days and I'm still thinking about it like I just wanted to leave the episode altogether because I'm really 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 fucking mad at myself um but the show quite literally must go on um I also want to give a disclaimer about how crappy this intro probably sounds because my Mac is giving me some issues and it won't let me record with my podcast mic um my podcast mic plugged into my computer via USB. I'm having some battery problems. And for some reason, it's saying that like using the USB is using up too much energy, even though my computer is plugged in. I have an appointment at the Genius Bar this weekend. So I'm hoping they can get to the bottom of that very quickly. Um, please don't tell me your horror stories because I'm nervous enough as it is that they're going to like do like a sex in the city when she brings her um and she sad backs it I'm afraid that's what's gonna happen to me so please don't traumatize me with your horror stories um no but I'm really excited for this episode it was recorded with my podcast mic so the sound quality will improve in just a few moments time so just bear with me here okay um but I really 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 enjoyed this episode I know that I have put out a handful of episodes about um, exploring my own relationship with alcohol, about exploring a damp lifestyle. And this episode just was such an impactful conversation, in my opinion. Um, The host is sober, she's been sober for, I think, around three years. Um, And she also hosts a podcast about sobriety. Um, But if you're not sober and you're not looking to be totally sober, that doesn't mean that this episode is not for you and that you can't take some really valuable information from it. I think that we all just as a society could really benefit from reflecting on our own relationships with alcohol and how it affects our lives, how it affects our mental health, how it affects our relationships, because it's really 
like the one drug or substance um, as a society that like we just don't really talk about in that way or explore in that way. Um, it's super normalized. So I just think that you're going to learn some really useful things about the science behind it and how it affects our brains about, you know, if you are looking to drink less, like how can you start to incorporate that into your lifestyle and what might that look like for you? Um, if you're looking to totally go sober, she's really going to help you out. Um, it was really good. And it is a longer interview just because we had so much good stuff to talk about. Um, so I'll keep this intro pretty short and sweet. But we got to do highs and lows, um, which are actually super pertinent to the episode. So um, two highs. One, Instagram created this new ad filter, which allows you to um, filter out weight loss advertisements, um, which is just such a win. I don't know if it's going to make super, super impactful change because I think that the content goes so far beyond um, sponsored posts and advertisements. However, it's a step and it is acknowledging um, the damage that this type of content can really do. And in my eyes, it feels like Instagram is acknowledging their part in the increased rate of negative body image and eating disorders, especially among the population of young girls and teens, um, which is huge because they have a huge part to play in it. Um, and so I'm hoping that it will help people to, you know, kind of keep their bubble on social media a little bit more positive, a little safer. And it will also affect these nasty companies that are preying on companies and influencers. Okay, companies and influencers that are preying on our insecurities to get you to spend money with them, point blank. Um, and similarly, someone sent me this um, Instagram story of this influencer, and I don't follow her because I know if I did, her <laughs> content would thoroughly piss me off, and it, it would last like two days, I think. Um, but I just need to say this PSA because it really falls along the same notion. You do not need to do a cleanse or a detox to reset your body. You cannot reset your body. You cannot quick start your body. You cannot jump start your body. Especially not from buying supplements that are not regulated. Let's be very, even the vitamins that you buy, I'm not saying vitamins are bad, like just obviously do your research, get the right ones, but like vitamins, supplements, all of that are not evaluated by the FDA. And that's something that a lot of people don't know, but a lot of these supplements can honestly do more harm than good or do literally nothing at all. Like you're literally going to pee them right out and you're going to waste hundreds or thousands of dollars on them and it's just not worth your time and it's the same exact thing of preying on your insecurities of finally de-bloating finally controlling your weight finally losing that last five pounds to get you to spend and spend and spend and I'm saying it with such passion because I have been there I was that girl who spent hundreds probably thousands of dollars on supplements 
because of that kind of messaging and that kind of advertising. So much so that I got sucked into an MLM and sold them myself. So many apologies if you got a Facebook message from me between the years of like 2015 and like 2017. Dark, dark days. Um, but she was doing this like soup and juice cleanse um, with, I think it might have been the one that Gwyneth Paltrow does on her soup documentary or something similar to that, where you don't really eat any solids, you're drinking juice, you're eating these like soup packets. Um, like this is why you have a liver. If you're having liver issues, go talk to a doctor. If you're having perpetual issues like painful stomach bloating um, or always feeling really bloated, please go talk to your doctor. Um, and I know that that in itself can be a luxury, of course, but use that money that you would spend on the supplements to pay the copay. Um, if you need a recommendation, go follow Hub Healthy Boston and reach out to her. If she cannot take you on as a patient, she can certainly point you in the right direction. She's a client of mine. She's been on this podcast. Um, I really value the work that she's done. She has helped multiple of my friends. She has helped my mom exponentially with her never-ending um, gut health issues, like for the first time in her life. She literally was in tears because she went on vacation and wasn't painfully like bloated and had like sharp stomach pains the whole week. And she was like actually able to eat real food the whole time. Like there are real doctors out here to help you with these problems. And it's the same exact thing, like people preying on your insecurities. And it makes me so mad because they're just taking advantage of you and influencers posting stuff like this. And she even like posted a little disclaimer of like, it's not for weight loss. Like don't come at me. But like, why are you posting that you're doing it then? Because it's like this bullshit wellness content, you know? Anyways tangent, rant, whatever. Um, my other high, <laughs> that did start with a high, surprisingly. My other high was that this weekend, um, I got to attend a bachelorette party for one of my oldest, dearest friends from high school. Um, I moved around a lot in high school, so I don't have a lot of high school friends or even like longstanding like childhood friends. Um, so it was really awesome to celebrate her get away for the weekend Charleston is such a fun little city we you know listened to live music and went out on a little boat cruise and ate lots of yummy food and all this um and you know it's so much fun to have girls weekends like that especially like at this stage in life where like we're married or engaged or just freaking busy with our jobs and all of the other weddings happening and like life events happening where we tend to spend the majority of our time um, with our partners, which is such a beautiful thing. And I love that. Obviously I love the life that we're building together. Um, but my female friendships are such a huge, 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 most important thing in my life that I value so much. Um, and I think that that's something that we really need to value for our, our entire lives even if the amount of time that you can spend together ebbs and flows um I think for your own mental health for the health of your relationship all of it is so important um I also you know going on these trips 
makes me proud because it's a reminder of where I used to be. I used to go on these kinds of trips and I would be so stressed out about what I was going to eat. And I would be so disconnected from the group because I would be sitting there not able to be present in conversation because I was scouring the menu. Okay. Like adding up the calories in my head, like what, what is going to be the healthiest? What's going to be the lowest calories? Like wanting to fit in and like not make it a thing, but also not feel like garbage at the end of the weekend or feel really guilty. So I would have a lot of guilt and shame about food choices. And then because of all of that stress I was putting on myself, I would end up really taking it to the other extreme and just binging all weekend long and taking it to a point where I felt so uncomfortably full. Like I think moderation is always the key and even moderation in moderation. Um, you know, sometimes you eat past the point of fullness because like the food is just really that fucking good and that's okay too. Um, but it was such like an internal battle every time. And then after it would be like, okay, Monday I am resetting. I would restrict so heavily. And then of course it would just ping pong in the complete opposite direction by the time the next weekend came around. And so going on these types of trips is, um, a really great reminder of how far I've come because I really didn't feel that um, that dread going into it. I didn't feel the shame or the guilt after. I more so felt like I had the tools to be like, oh, I don't feel 100%. What could I do today to make myself feel better? And that did not include, quote unquote, killing myself in the gym, more so included like, okay, what what are some like manageable movement, especially because I'm going into like my menstrual cycle. So trying to not overdo it and throw off my cycle even more, like how can I support my body in this by working in more fruits and vegetables without restricting? Um, yeah, another tangent, but, and if you feel like you need help with any of that stuff, please keep an ear out um, or shoot me a DM for my upcoming group, um, workshop on all of this, um, how to kind of implement those types of tools into your everyday life. Cause I know it's hard. I'm not saying I snapped the finger and I got here and I'm not saying every day is perfect and great. Um, I also think this episode is coming at such a perfect time because, you know, I haven't been quiet about it. Um, about working on my relationship with alcohol and kind of reevaluating what that is for myself. It's been almost a year since I really started exploring that and it hasn't been perfect and it hasn't really been a linear journey. Um, but about a year ago, I took like two months off from drinking and then um, kept it pretty tame during the holidays, did dry January, and then have kind of been just trying to live in that place of moderation this last year. Um, and going on weekends like this is tough. I'm not going to lie. I was stressed out going into it, trying to decide exactly how I wanted to approach it. Um, because, and even though I knew that this was such a great group of girls, they weren't necessarily like my group of girlfriends. Um, you know, she's my best friend. And then it was like her sister and some of her friends that 
I all know, I like know them all and I love them all. They're fucking fantastic people. Um, and I knew that where I thought, you know, they wouldn't really be the, the type to be like, what do you mean you're not drinking? Or why are you not drinking more? Like, you know, we all know those people and I just didn't really think that they would be like that and they weren't. Um, but kind of going into it being like, okay, how do I want to feel? How do I want to approach this? Um, do I want to go into it with like a two drink rule for everything or only beer and wine and like no hard alcohol? And um, I didn't, I ended up not really following any kind of rule or guideline for myself. I kind of just tried to take it one step at a time, which when you're drinking probably isn't really like the best way to go about it um and we'll get into that once we get into the podcast but um I was proud of myself for the way that it went I feel like years ago I would never have one even thought twice about what my relationship with alcohol was going to be on a weekend like that I would just be like wow I can't wait to like go balls to the walls and like party with my girls um and I felt like the first night I definitely drank more than I anticipated and more than I really had wanted to, but I also was proud of myself for many of the times, uh, you know, when other people were ordering more drinks, like getting waters instead and kind of writing that out and dragging it out a little bit um and not feeling like weird about it at all be like nope I just want to water drink um and like that in and of itself feels like a step and I like I said it's not perfect I'm not here to like give advice I'm just here to kind of share my own experience um but I also did notice um and I've talked about this a little bit too the way like anxiety kind of comes out from it the anxiety, if you will. Um, so the second day, we were kind of like drinking periodically throughout the day. You know, we got brunch and then went out on the boat and stuff. And it wasn't crazy. It wasn't anything like so insane. I, I didn't even really feel like drunk, I feel like at all really during the day. But even that night, we didn't go out. We had a little slumber party, which was the best. I convinced everyone to watch Married at First Sight with me highly recommend if you're looking for a recommendation there are like 11 seasons on like Hulu and Netflix I'm pretty sure um but that night I just was like laying in bed on the top bunk of a bunk bed lol um feeling really really anxious and I couldn't really pinpoint why because I had such a fun weekend I really enjoyed spending time with these people but you know, I kind of just had like this knot in my chest. Um, and I, I know what it was. It wasn't anything logical. It was just the alcohol reacting in my brain. Um, and that's something that then I like got more anxiety because I was like, well, this is your fault. You know that you get anxiety when you drink too much and you decided to do it anyways. So then it's like, you know, that whole other layer. Um, but it's all a learning experience. And I 
got up the next morning and went for a little like jog slash walk, a lot of walking, um, put on like a nice mood boosting playlist and got out of the house. And it wasn't in a way of like feeling guilty. Like I had to work anything off. It was really just like, you know what, we're going to have some alone time, have a little bit of quiet time, kind of shake off those feelings of anxiety before you, you know, spend the last morning with these ladies and um, travel the rest of the day. And that definitely really did help. Um, so, you know, I'm learning, I'm exploring, finding tools that work for me. And if you want to talk about this stuff with anyone, I know that it's a hard conversation to approach other people with. Um, especially just like in our society, it can feel embarrassing, which I could talk about on this episode. Um, but it's not. And if you are feeling like the same in any way, or if you want just someone to like bounce this stuff off of, like slide into my DMs, shoot me an email. And then like, I can give you my number. We can text about it. I'm not going to really drop my number on the podcast, but um, yeah, it's all a learning curve. And I'm hoping that this episode will um, help you learn a little bit more. So have a great week. Love and appreciate you. Peace and motherfucking blessings. Bye. Welcome to the Build with Brayback podcast, where we dig deep into real, raw, and honest conversations with people that are making moves, making change, and making their own version of their very best life. And teaching you how to build the same. Covering all things health, wellness, anti-diet culture, body positivity, and so much more. Here's your host, Amanda Brabeck. Today on the podcast, I have a fellow podcaster and Bostonian. She got sober in 2019 because alcohol was severely affecting her mental health. Now she teaches what she's learned about why it's so hard to stop drinking, why alcohol makes us miserable, how to embrace sobriety, and how to develop the life skills you need to stay sober. She's the host and creator of the Sober Powered Podcast and has been featured in People, NPR, Kaiser Health News, WebMD, Parents, McLean, and much more. I am so excited to have her on. Welcome to the podcast, Jill Teets. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm so excited to dig into this stuff. I think that so often people are afraid to talk about it and it's a topic with a lot of stigma around it. So I'm excited to kind of just have an honest conversation and give the people the info that they want and need. Yeah, there is a ton of stigma and shame and that makes people not get the info that they need. It makes us isolate and hide away because we're so ashamed of ourselves. Yeah, it's so true. Even like I did dry January this year um, and prior to that, just took a few months off of drinking to kind of evaluate my relationship with alcohol. Um, you know, there's a lot of addiction or alcohol abuse in all branches of my family tree. So I figured good thing to look at because so often we just don't like, it's such a weird thing in our society. But I remember I 
you know, posted a little bit on TikTok about my dry January journey, which people, as we know, are awful on TikTok. Um, but a bunch of times when I was posting like, oh, I'm reading this book, or I'm listening to this podcast, like trying to make it an intentional experience. So many people or like a handful of people commented because like I wasn't getting that many views, but <laughs> um, commenting like, oh, you definitely have a problem with alcohol if you're reading all those books or like just admit it, blah, blah, blah. Like when there can't be a middle ground, there can't even be just like a curiosity. Um, so I think that's so true what you said about shame so yeah and there's there's a lot of people that try to push the label on everyone like you have to say that you're an alcoholic mm -hmm. to move forward and like you know be free and heal and all this stuff and like you really don't you know yeah. if that works for you fantastic if the label makes you feel ashamed of yourself then why would you use it like I just say I'm sober you know but yeah. It is, it is what it is. Everybody's different. I think the most important thing is you don't drink or if you're sober curious, you take breaks and they go well and you learn something and you move forward. Like we yeah. don't all have to, it's not black and white. Yeah. I think that's, which I guess is what people, you know, seem to have a hard time with, with so many things, but it's so true. I mean, there are some people that, which like no shame on any of it. There are some people that have like major addictions. There are some people that just like don't like the way that it makes them feel or there's and there's such a range. And I I hate that it has to be, you know, one thing or the other. You know, you can't just be like, I just don't really want to do this. Like it's the one drug, if you will, in our society that people like give you so much crap about if you don't do it, which is really weird when you think about it like that. Yeah, absolutely. It's like shocking to them. Like what's wrong with you that you, so like you must have a problem. Like they immediately put you into this different category. Yeah, totally. Um, well, before we get too far off on, you know, all the tangents, I would love to start with just hearing a little bit more about your story, if you don't mind sharing it, um, you know, why you decided to get sober, how did that journey go, and kind of what led you to starting to help others as well and educate others. So I started as a sober curious person that didn't do anything about it. <laughs> And surprise, it got worse. Um, so I was super curious back, like in my mid 20s, I'm 32 now. And I was kind of like thinking maybe I should drink less, maybe I should try mocktails, whatever. And it didn't really work out for me. Like I couldn't, I couldn't really handle the social pressure. So I was never successful. Mm -hmm. um, and every year, like it would just get worse and worse and worse. And something, unfortunately, that would happen to me a lot is I would humiliate myself publicly when I got really drunk. Like I unfortunately have been sick on crowded subway platforms. I've been sick in parking lots. Like it's always in public. It's never like in my house, you know, yeah. and I've fallen like all of these horrible things. Um, and that made me hate myself so much. 
And that was like the main part of my story is extreme self-hatred. And no matter what I did, I couldn't control my drinking. I was so obsessed with figuring out like, what can I do to moderate? Like which strategy is going to work? Like I would try diluting my glass of wine with water or doing the like one drink, one water like thing. Or I even at one point like had rubber bands on my wrist and I would have like three on my wrist because I read this story about a guy who would go to barbecues with coins in his pocket and he'd move them to the other pocket when he had a drink. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, well, we, our clothes don't really get pockets. So I did rubber bands. Um, it never worked by the third drink. It's like, right, like it's so the rubber bands. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, you know, I drank those really fast so, or this wine is weaker than usual. Um, so no matter what I tried, it never worked. And like this self-hatred kept building and building and building over the years. And then I got really suicidal. Um, and I would force myself to stay awake at night thinking about what a loser I am and what a bad person. And like, how can you not control your drinking? Like everyone else does around you. Like, why can't you? Um, and I would just like beat myself up horribly about it. And that inspired me to do 90 days. So I thought like, I'll do 90 days sober and, you know, I'll be cured. I just need a reset, like all this stuff. And I did the 90 days and then I was actually cured temporarily. Um, I moderated for the first time ever. And I would have two drinks on Saturday nights and that was it. And like, I stopped on my own and I was a daily drinker before that. So that was like going from a thousand drinks a week down to like two was really impressive for me. I was like, wow, look at me. I did it. I'm cured. And what I didn't really connect was I was isolating the whole time. I wasn't going out and being social with other people. Um, I wasn't going to parties because I blamed them. Like, oh, it's this friend that makes me drink so much. And we went on a cruise our first time in Europe, my husband and I. And it was right after like all the moderating for a couple months. And I was right back to normal. And that was the scary thing. Like there, it wasn't even a gradual increase. It was as soon as I had the opportunity, I was right back to like all day, every day. Like, I don't care. Like, let's go. Mm -hmm. I humiliated myself so many times on that cruise. Like I can't even look at the pictures. And then when I got home, my magical ability to moderate was gone. And I was right back to hating myself. Like everything that inspired me to quit it all came back right away. And then eventually, like I was able to accept, this is just how I drink. This is kind of who I am. And it's never going to change. Even if you take 10 years off, like this is just what alcohol is doing to your head. And I was ashamed. And I thought like, I'm a loser. And now I have to be like an alcoholic loser. Um, and I started just reading about it. Like, I just wanted to understand, like, why me? Because my whole time while I was drinking, I was always justifying, oh, it's not that bad. I have a master's degree. Like, I got my master's degree and I was drinking every day. So, like, therefore, it's not a problem. Or I have mm -hmm. this, like, job that impresses people. 
my marriage is fine. Like I had all these reasons why it wasn't so bad. And I just started looking into it and reading about the science. And every day that I learned stuff, I felt a little bit better. And after like months and months of doing that, I realized like, I don't blame myself anymore. I don't think I'm a loser anymore. I still don't have like this amazing self-love, <laughs> but like, I don't do any of us. <laughs> Come on. Um, and that's why I started sharing. So I was around like eight months sober. Now I'm two and a half years sober. And I started sharing because it was just helping me um, to understand like why me. And I thought if other people could understand, then maybe they could quit for good and stop like going back and forth. Yeah, totally. I love that. And I think that is also such a big part of people's journey too, is thinking like we were talking about before, thinking that if you have a problem, if you're an addict, if you're an alcoholic or whatever, it looks one certain way. Like you're the guy like pandering for change in the middle of the intersection. It doesn't look like someone with a master's degree and a nice job and a happy marriage and all of that. When like, it's not mutually exclusive. It can look like a bunch of different things. Um, and like, how is it affecting your life? How is it affecting your relationships? Um, but so I think, and actually a ton of questions that I got were all related to this. So we might as well kick it off with it. And you said, um, you know, you wanted to figure out what it was doing to your mind. So let's talk about alcohol affecting the brain. How does it affect the brain? Um, I mean, I think we're all a little bit at least struggling mentally after the last two years. Um, and so that goes hand in hand with alcohol consumption too. So many things. I really just kept it open-ended for you. But <laughs> <laughs> let's start with how does alcohol affect the brain? So it affects the whole brain, like every function, every area, because um, it's such a little molecule that it can just like go everywhere. But the main thing is that it does that like reinforces why we need to drink is what it does to our dopamine system. Mm -hmm. So when you drink alcohol, you have a rush of endorphins, which makes us feel good. And that's why people describe themselves as happy drunks because mm -hmm. these endorphins and they feel like euphoric and all this stuff. You also get a rush of serotonin, which makes you very happy and cheerful and improves your mood. And the endorphins cause a big release of dopamine and alcohol releases more dopamine than any like regular reward, like cuddling or like playing with a pet or like eating a good dinner. Alcohol does like, it just does so much more than that for the brain. And dopamine makes your brain remember it. So it's a motivational chemical. It's not about like pleasure, which a lot of us think um, it, it exists to motivate us to get you know, whatever reward. So animals that have like disruption to their dopamine system, they actually like won't get food for themselves. Like if you feed them, they will eat the food. But if the food is just like a tiny bit out of their reach, they're just like not going to bother oh. and they'll like starve to death. 
because they have no motivation to do anything. So that's like kind of what dopamine is for. But when you have something like alcohol that causes the release of a ton of dopamine, it creates the seeking behavior and a craving for it. So we build these associations, like whatever reason you're drinking, like most of us start drinking socially. So we go to a party, we have a drink, we feel more confident, more relaxed. We can connect with people better. Your brain remembers that. So next time you're at a party, you get like this craving to drink alcohol because it knows your brain knows like, oh, alcohol helps me in this situation. Mm-hmm. What happens with people like me is when you drink alcohol for like literally every single reason ever, then you build out like all of these associations for just right. regular life. So like coming home from work now, that ignites a craving. So I'm home from work. How do I unwind? What helps me relax? Oh, well, alcohol. So then you get a craving for alcohol or even like driving by certain places can cause dopamine to be released in the brain, which then signals you to like seek out alcohol and crave it. So it does so many things. Um, And then whatever like improvement you see in the beginning because of balance and because the brain is always trying to stay in homeostasis, you're going to get the exact opposite at the end of the drinking. So like, I think the, the easiest one to picture, because a lot of us have seen this is like girls at the bar who go to the bar and they drink and they're like super happy and fun. And then at the end of the night, they're just crying and they're so sad. Right. I've done that. Same. And people are like, oh, they're so dramatic. Like, no, it's because when they first started drinking, they had a huge boost in serotonin, which made them extremely happy and all those endorphins. And then when the drinking ended or was starting to wear off, their serotonin levels tank and they go below baseline. So their mood Mm -hmm. is even worse than when they started. And that's why we get so upset. That's why I felt so suicidal. I thought like, oh, look at me. I'm just a suicidal person. Like, great. Here's another problem. Right. But it was actually because my serotonin was tanking so low and like all the self-worth issues that I had that it was making me very suicidal because the depression was so extreme. Um, So I think that's the best way to think of it. Like if you drink for anxiety, then hello, anxiety at three o'clock in the morning. Yeah, I was going to say is that the contributor to that next day or like few days anxiety and like low feeling like yep I remember I'm really gonna throw myself under the bus here <laughs> but sorry mom if you're listening but I remember which like these two things definitely just add on to each other but in college specifically when like definitely was drinking the most ever and you know you end up going home with someone or hooking up with someone or whatever. And I remember me and my girlfriends being like, we just feel like the most worthless piece of crap the next day. And while I'm sure maybe some of that has to do with the self-worthiness of like, you know, having like hooked up with someone that probably doesn't respect you or like may not ever talk to you again or whatever probably also so much because we were drinking so heavily at that time. 
Yes. Yeah. And there, there are some, I'm actually looking into this right now, like as we speak for an episode I'm working on Mm -hmm. um, for my show. But so I talked about how, when you start drinking endorphins are released that make you feel good and euphoric and serotonin makes you feel happy, whatever, but endorphins don't just keep getting released, you know, for infinite amount of drinks. Mm -hmm. There's a limit in the limit, like it's going to be different for everybody, like genetically, but it seems to be around like two drinks. So when you have two drinks, you kind of reach your max, like good feeling, and then it's going to plateau. And then if you continue to drink, it's going to tank and you get um, the opposite of an endorphin, which is called a dynorphin. Those start to be released and those do the exact opposite of endorphins. They make you feel terrible. So endorphins make you feel good. Um, They're like good for your mental health, like runners high, like all of that. Mm -hmm. Dynorphins make you feel like crap and they cause anxiety and depression. So there's like all of this stuff chemically in the brain, like all across the brain that is just making us feel so bad the next day. Mm -hmm. And the anxiety part can be really powerful for people that like actually do have anxiety. I had anxiety from my drinking. I don't have anxiety at all. Like now two and a half years, I'm completely anxiety free. I was like from day one, but for someone that does have anxiety, like going to a wedding and getting super drunk can make them very, very anxious for like a week. So just one night of drinking can mess up a week's worth of brain chemistry. Yeah. I was going to say, what are the long-term effects of that? And that that's something that a few listeners asked about too. Like how does it affect depression and anxiety longer than just where you're feeling the hangover the next day or two? Yeah. So for someone that drinks socially Mm -hmm. and doesn't have an issue with it, they might have these little like acute bursts of bad mental health, but then they don't drink again for a bit or they drink like one or two drinks and it's not a thing. Mm -hmm. Someone like me, that was drinking a lot or someone that's like binge drinking every single weekend consistently. What happens is like, so we have this huge burst of all of these good feelings and like feeling calm and it relieves our anxiety, relieves our depression. And then at the end of the drinking, it tanks below our baseline. And when you repeat that process over and over and over and over and over, your baseline starts to decrease. So you can okay. think of it as like, I don't know, this is a podcast. <laughs> you can't see my hands yeah. listening, <laughs> but you can think of it as like stairs maybe, yeah. or like a slide. Yeah. Like your baseline is just slowly going down and down and getting worse and worse. And that's why I believe at least I'm not um, a doctor, but that's why I think I became really suicidal at the end. I didn't start off drinking that way. But I drank consistently for so many years that my baseline just kept getting destroyed. And every year was worse and worse and worse and worse. And by the end of it, I was so low that like it was hard to even exist. So I think for I think that's why like dry January and dry July are awesome because people do get in a habit 
of drinking heavily. Like for me, it wasn't a habit. It was like a whole thing. Yeah. But a lot of people will get into a habit where like, especially during the holidays, like where there's so many happy hours and like all these things. And then you just get like a break and you reset. Like for me, I couldn't reset. Um, But someone who mostly drinks socially, they can kind of keep themselves in check. Like it, it sounds like what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, it's not a totally flawless thing all the time, but (laughs) it's, you know, something that I'm exploring. Um, But is that also why you would see, kind of rewinding a little bit, why you see like angry drunks too? Yes. I feel like, you know, everyone has that friend or whatever that like is so much fun. And then by the end of the night is like, ruining all of her friendships and yelling at people or causing a fight with her boyfriend or whatever it is, you know? 100%. Yeah. Um, so one of the reasons that we have serotonin, it's obviously the most common thing people know about it is it helps with mood. It's associated with depression. Another purpose of having serotonin is aggression. Yeah. It tells us how aggressive we need to be to get food. Yeah. So like my cat, she's over there. You can't really see her. I'll show you after. But my cat um, has asthma and she gets a steroid injection like every five weeks. And that makes her very aggressive. So Mm. when she gets hungry, like it's not that she's like a bad cat or she's like crazy or something. She just gets super aggressive about it. And because she's very motivated to get food, she feels like she's going to die. But if you think about these people at the bar where they drink and they're very happy, and then all of a sudden, like usually it's a it's a man who's single like fighting with everyone or it's a married woman or a Mm. woman in a long-term relationship, like bringing up everything that her partner has ever done. (laughs) Um, But it's other people too. Yeah, no, but that is definitely one that you see. (laughs) Yes. Um, And that's serotonin. That is because the tank in serotonin at the end of the night and it's their genetics. So alcohol-induced aggression will not happen to everybody. Mm-hmm. It only happens to like a, a subset of people that have certain genetics and it it's based on like how your brain moves serotonin around. Yeah. And yeah, it's super interesting, but yeah, it's not that they're mean people or bad people or jerks or, you know, whatever. It's just the way. So if they stop drinking alcohol, they probably won't act like that anymore or they'll yeah. do it a lot less. Yeah. A hundred percent. Is that why, or is it just men being idiots like is that why men so often when they're drinking feel the need to like get in bar fights destroy things punch a wall <laughs> like you know probably like both. we're in the bathroom <laughs> crying and they're out there starting fist fights yep <laughs> yeah it like magnifies all of you know evolutionarily like what's going on in our brain it's like men have to be like aggressive and like you know show that they're the alpha and then women are like very emotional so then multiply that by a thousand at the end of the night oh yeah. yeah totally um well so you started talking about genetics a little bit um so and i don't know 
if you can totally speak to it, but if you can. So with genetics and addiction, um, you know, kind of like what I was saying, that's mostly the reason why I wanted to explore my relationship with alcohol is because there is a lot of addiction in my family. And I know other people have said similar things to me where, you know, maybe they watched their mom or whoever struggle with addiction. So they're nervous that like, oh, am I going to go down that same path? Like how much does it like guarantee that we'll also struggle? Yeah, it's not a guarantee, but it increases the risk by a lot. Like Mm -hmm. multiple times over, it increases the risk. And that's for two reasons, two main ones. It's because of genetics, Mm -hmm. but it's also because of the trauma that's associated with growing up with a parent Mm -hmm. who's drinking very heavily. Um, We often will think like our kids don't really know, but they do. And they understand, even if they don't like completely understand like alcohol, they understand like their parent is switching yeah, and being different and that they don't like it. Um, So witnessing that, even if you have no genetics, also increases your risk. So those usually like work together in families to just create this horrible cycle. Yeah. But for the genetics part of it, like the mental health stuff we talked about, that increases your risk. So that will run in your family, usually like anxiety or depression or something. But another one is just how you process alcohol. So people who struggle with alcohol can usually drink very large quantities of it. And not everybody has that ability. Some people will drink like a drink or two, and then they'll start to get a headache or they'll get tired or they just won't like it. And that's their genetics doing that, making them not feel good. Um, And for people that struggle with alcohol, the reason that we can drink so much is because our livers are really good at processing it and we don't feel bad while we drink. Some people will, and they'll just power through it. But for a lot of us, if you feel amazing the whole time you're drinking, like you're more likely to drink again. Right. And or like, you do want to stop. <laughs> yeah. Right. And for me, like, I've never had a multiple day hangover ever, even though I've had like some very heavy drinking days that made it way more likely for me to drink every single day. Where I have a friend who often would get like two to three day hangovers, she was a weekend binge drinker. Yeah. So your genetics determine like how powerful your hangovers will be, things like that. But like all these little risk factors, I think of it as like a bunch of blocks that just like stack on top of each other Mm -hmm. and you get past a certain threshold and it's like problem. And the blocks are like your genetics, like how you process alcohol, like your mental health, like the how neurotransmitters are moved around in your brain um, trauma, like all of these things. And yeah, family history is a, is a big contributor. Totally. Yeah. Especially what you're saying about like the trauma too. And if you're not, you know, working with a therapist or like exploring that and just kind of like letting it sit below the surface, it's definitely more likely that it's going to affect your life. Yeah. Um, And, um, when you have family history and you have trauma, your parents, if they're drinking really heavily, 
they probably suck at dealing with emotions. They are not teaching you how to deal with your emotions, or maybe they are, but they could be doing better. So now you're growing up and you're not having as much like emotional maturity as you should. And you don't know how to deal with emotions. Like you're watching your parents deal with their emotions with like food or alcohol or yelling at each other. And those are the skills that you're learning. So if you grow up and you have no skills, then you go to alcohol because it instantly fixes whatever problem that you have. So it's even just like, so this can happen in any family. It doesn't even have to be like with history of addiction, but if your parents are not modeling healthy coping skills, then you don't have those skills. Like where are you going to learn them? Yeah, 100%. And I think we don't realize just like how much of our childhood we really carry with us because so much of it sits under the surface like that, Um, which also I feel like relates to how people use alcohol to cope with emotions and to cope with like social anxiety. And, you know, I think especially like we were saying before, um, during COVID, obviously the amount that people were drinking increased exponentially. Um, So I guess two parts to this question. One, why is, besides, I guess, all the other things that you just told us, why is like dealing with emotions or coping with alcohol, not actually coping? And then if you have any advice on how not how to, but like dealing with mental health without turning to alcohol. Yeah. So alcohol, we use it to control how we feel. So if you feel something positive or negative, you're either going to use alcohol to enhance the positive Mm -hmm. and make it more positive or change the negative. And it does both things instantly. And that's why we use it. Cause we learned like the first thing I learned about alcohol was it made my stress go away. So then every time Mm -hmm. I had stress, like, why wouldn't I, like, why wouldn't I want it to go away? You know? Um, So it does actually help us cope. And that's why we get these beliefs and we make these associations. So then the next time we're in a similar situation or have a similar feeling, we're like, oh, well, alcohol like fix this thing last time, but we're not thinking long-term because at the end of the night, you didn't actually cope with anything. You just kind of like stepped off to the side and like, let your life continue while you like chilled somewhere, or you just like kind of closed your eyes to your problems. And then, you know, eventually you have to open your eyes again and it's like, whoa. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then you're just dealing with the stress with a hangover. (laughs) Yep. And then you're like, well, now I have a bigger problem. So I need to drink again to cope with the same problem. Mm -hmm. So that's the hardest part is that it does actually help short term. Like if you're super anxious, alcohol will calm you down, but then it'll magnify your anxiety five hours later. So it, it helps in the short term and we get stuck on that. And we don't know what else to do. 
and a lot of people when they're trying to stop drinking will talk about like what can I replace alcohol with because we're looking again for that short-term um, instant gratification fix yeah. and the only other thing that's going to do that is something else bad like sugar like a lot of people get yeah. sober and then they binge on sugar and like go nuts um, which I also do but that's because sugar makes us happy <laughs> and it's fun, you know, and it's like yeah. relaxing. And yeah. like, if you've have stress, like you eat a cookie and you're like, oh, like, well, not so bad Everything's anymore. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So we'll go find something else bad to cope. Mm -hmm. But all of the stuff that actually helps isn't going to help you immediately. And that's why we get stuck. Yeah. Like all of the stupid stuff, like journaling or walking or going to the gym or like calling a friend or taking a bath, like those all sound so dumb for someone who's used to instant gratification. Yeah. But those are the ones that work, like the stuff that doesn't help you in the first 30 minutes, but then helps like for the rest of your life yeah. <laughs> with that situation. Um, so I think just understanding that and that you need to work on like delaying gratification and that I always recommend people do in therapy. Like yeah. if you're used to instant gratification and you want to get out of that loop, it's often because you're so overwhelmed with what's happening that like you don't know what to do. So you yeah. just drink or you eat or you yell at someone and it brings you down enough so that you can handle it but you don't have to feel like overwhelmed and out of control all the time so yeah. that was me and that I worked on in therapy a hundred percent and it's one of those things that like you shouldn't feel ashamed if that is what you're doing also because that's so human nature especially of our generation and just the time that we're living in, it's that instant gratification and instantly, you know, feeling better or being entertained or whatever it is. And I think we also try to, which also I think speaks to our culture, we try so hard to avoid any negative feelings like discomfort, bad, feeling sad, bad, when really it's just like, it's just information and working through it makes the good so much better. Yeah, I like that. It's just information. I try to take morality mm. out of everything and I try to make everything not personal. Yeah. Because that's what helped me. Like I was, I was so personal about my drinking. Like mm -hmm. I am a loser. I'm the worst. Like what's wrong with me? Me, 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 me. And as I learn more about like what's going on, I kind of see my brain as like its own thing. Yeah. That like stuff is happening. Like I can imagine like it's not me. It's just this like thing over there. So I think disconnecting it from like your worth and like who you are helps too because the shame just keeps us stuck and yeah. shame makes you drink or binge on cookies or like do all these bad things because that feeling is so unbearable yeah 100% and I think the same thing with feelings like you're not a bad person or a failure because you have anxiety and you're struggling with that like 
there's a reason why your brain is doing this and like you just got to figure out why but also that's more difficult than just saying that so um but okay since you actually started talking about food let's talk a little bit about eating disorders and alcohol whether that's like specific to what's happening in the brain or how alcohol affects your body image yeah so a lot of people but especially women will start with disordered eating mm-hmm. and then later in life move on to alcohol i read a study um i think the statistic was like 40% of women that were in a treatment center that they looked at had history of disordered eating which is like that's a lot yeah um that's almost half of the women that were in treatment yeah so it's super common and it's more common to go that way then go in the reverse direction, then go from struggling with alcohol to then struggling with disordered eating, just, you know, for whatever reason. I think also because typically um, younger women struggle with eating disorders, like women in their teens and their early 20s, that's like peak time. Yeah. Like 18 to 20, that's like prime time to like have bad body image and like be obsessed with being thin and And then later on in life, when you have a career and you have kids and like whatever, then that's like prime time to drink. Yeah. So I think that's behind the, um, the link with the specific order that it's in, but I think it all goes back to like not being able to cope and not having tools because you can have disordered eating or bad body image, no matter what you look like. It's not like a specific Um, physical appearance that gets affected by disordered eating it can happen to anybody yeah and I think it all goes back to like not having any tools to cope with and like I also started with disordered eating that was like my thing when I was like 18 to 20 and like then a little bit later but yeah I was like obsessed with being as thin as possible like I had had some trauma in college and I'm like the solution to this <laughs> trauma is to be extremely thin. Oh, That's it's so great. real. <laughs> in my head, it made perfect sense. Like, yeah, now I should just be super thin. I'm highly motivated. And now looking back, I'm like, no, maybe like dealing with the trauma should have been a priority. Yeah. But that was because I didn't have any skills. Right. And then I eventually went to therapy to get help. And I didn't really learn that many skills then either. So then the next thing that was there for me was alcohol. Right. Um, But yeah, it all, it all goes back to like low self-worth, low self-esteem, trying to control something, even though alcohol makes you very out of control. We drink to try to control things. We drink to control our emotions. We drink because we can't control other people and they piss us off so much that we drink at them. Like it's all about control. And eventually people can learn the skills where they like don't have to feel that they need to control everything, but that that is really hard. And for me, like I just swapped them. Like there was no gap even like as my disordered eating started to improve, I started drinking, like they crossed over each other. And then I had like a whole new situation. Like now what's happening? (laughs) 
now I'm partying like so much fun. <laughs> it's so real. And I mean, cause yeah, that's really what it goes down. What it comes down to is your self-worth and confidence and, um, how sure of yourself that you are. And okay. Two follow-up questions. One, do you think that any of that, the women that struggle with an eating disorder and then later on struggle with um, alcohol addiction or abuse or whatever um, due to that like mommy wine culture, which I think runs so deep and prevalent in our culture today? Yes. Um, mommy wine culture is the worst. Mm. It's the worst when it's a celebrity there's a couple, I'm not going to like put anyone on blast, but like, it's easy to find out who they are. Yeah. There are a couple moms that are celebrities that are doing like all of this mommy wine culture stuff. And it's the worst because they yeah. have such a big platform. Like they have people that look up to them and it's just like, ugh, like, come on, man. Um, but yeah, it's all mommy wine culture is also about control it's mm -hmm. that moms feel that they have to be perfect and they have to do all the things for everybody and they usually can't be perfect. Yeah. So mommy wine culture gives you permission to do this one thing that makes you not perfect or this one thing to cope. And like they make all these stupid memes about it or like these stupid cups with the sayings and it, it makes it funny. Yeah. And it kind of takes the pressure off a really hard situation. But yeah, I wish that like it would just stop because yeah. moms are so vulnerable already to alcohol. Yeah. But then when you blast them with stupid mommy wine culture, it's it's easy. It makes perfect sense like in their heads. Like, yeah, parenting is stressful. So how do we deal with stress? Right. We drink. And a lot of moms, unfortunately, believe that like alcohol helps with parenting because they, they feel stressed or they want to like yell at their kids or they don't know what to do and they drink and they're calm. I've had moms tell me that like, it helps them play with their kids longer and like stay calm and like do all these things. And I'm like, maybe you think it does, but like after that, like first hour or two, right. Then really, what is it like? Yeah. We have to think about the whole experience not the first hour, but, but yeah, it's, it's the worst mommy wine culture sucks. Yeah. I think so too. Cause it's like, like you said, moms are vulnerable and they're amazing and they're doing so fucking much and they don't have the time or the space to rarely think about themselves or put themselves first, second, third. So to then also try to kind of like box them into this thing that like isn't gonna help and I think it also is like a lot of times you feel isolated like you're on an island and this is like a fun club that you get to be a part of yep yeah it's a club and yeah. like all the moms want to go out and you know drink and have play dates and like you don't want to be left out same thing with kids in college, like everybody's drinking, like they don't want to be left out. So they want to do it too. It's the same. I'm glad that you said that because it, there is a lot of pressure for moms to do it because the other moms are doing it. Yeah, totally. I know like I'm not a mother yet, but I feel like 
don't know. I think maybe just from following different people on like TikTok and stuff that talk about this stuff that are moms and are like, I show up to a play date at like 10 a.m. and they're offering me like champagne or whatever, or we're at the soccer game on a Saturday morning and they have, you know, mimosas in their travel mugs and are like pushing me to start drinking at 10 a.m. on Saturday at my child's soccer game too. And it's that, yeah, like social pressure. Like I thought that was going to be done after like high school. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the daytime drinking and like all of this stuff and trick-or-treating, like yeah. some parents will give out candy for the kids, but then they'll give out like nips or alcohol or something to the parents. Mm. So there's all this like, and the pressure to walk around with the, like the Yeti cup or whatever it's called yeah. with alcohol. Cause like all the other moms are joking about it and laughing about it. Right. So why shouldn't you? Right. It's so crazy. Um, but okay. And then the other follow-up question that I had was about, um, I guess kind of a two-parter, but so I think so often when people get sober, um, and work on like that addiction, they'll fall into being obsessed with something else. Like you were saying a lot of like the other coping things like binging or whatever. Um, and I feel like you see a lot of times people becoming obsessive about the gym and chasing that instant gratification, which like isn't the worst thing you could be obsessed with. There are health benefits until you take it to the extreme and you also have like no other coping mechanisms rather than just going to the gym. Um, I don't really remember what the question was. <laughs> Did I do that statement? If it was like, do you see that happen a lot after the fact? And is it due to that? Like needing that little boost? Yeah, that the gym one is really common. Yeah. A lot of us do that. And it's because we need a boost, but it's also because we finally like feel good for the first time. Yeah, that's true. We're used to like this really low baseline wellness of just feeling terrible all the time. And like the mornings, especially feeling terrible. Mm. So when you feel good every day and you're like up at 5am, like what else are you going to do? Go to the yeah. gym. Um, but yeah, when, when you stop drinking, like most of us don't know that we need skills. Yeah. We just think like alcohol is a problem. Therefore, I will stop drinking. Yeah. But what's behind the alcohol is not having coping skills. So right. if you don't do the work to learn them, then food or the gym or yelling at people or whatever becomes your new thing. Right. And the gym, like, you know, is that one is takes a little bit more to get to a bad place for most yeah. people. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you're going like seven days a week or multiple times a day, or like you find that you can't get through the day, like you have this itch. If you're my therapist said something very insightful to me mm -hmm. recently, we we're talking about sugar and she was like, but it can apply to anything. We want you to eat sugar because you want to eat it not because you are satisfying a craving or an right. itch for it. And like, when you hear that, you might be like, well, I'm not like, I'm not having a craving, but if you think about it, like that itchy kind of uncomfortable feeling, that's a craving. Yeah. So same with the gym. Like if you're finding that you can't get through a day and you feel like uncomfortable, 
then that's something to look towards. Like for me, like not drinking alcohol, like that was the most uncomfortable, but it will start out small. Yeah, totally. That's so true. Yeah. It's like you want to have it because you want it, not because you need it. That's yeah. And like, that's what I tell people when I'm helping them with like intuitive eating and stuff too. It all, it's all about the brain. Um, okay. But going back to mommy wine culture or any social setting, um, because our culture just is very centered around drinking. And I would say the majority of social situations that you're in tend to have drinking involved. And I think people can be very pushy and not understand. So I would love to hear any, you know, thing that worked for you or tips that you would have for other people, whether it's setting boundaries with friends or just certain phrases to tell them or whatever it is to kind of help you get through that part. Cause you also don't want to feel isolated during a time where you're already feeling maybe vulnerable or low. Yeah. And you don't want people pushing drinks on you, like, especially in the beginning when like you, you haven't built up experience, not drinking. Yeah. Um, I think there were a few things that helped me. One of them that not everyone's going to like is blend in. Um, this is more for like people that don't identify as an alcoholic, but if you get a soda water with a lime, it looks like a drink. Yeah. If you get a non-alcoholic beer, it looks like a drink. Or you get like, a, if you're at a barbecue or something, a can of seltzer and you stick it in a koozie, like you're good, you know? Yeah. So, or like a mocktail, like I started with mocktails and I would, um, I would go to the bar and I would by myself and I would tell the bartender like, hey, I'm sober can you make me something? Like, I literally don't care what it is. Um, And then he would make me a mocktail. And then I have this like pretty drink. Right. And when everyone asked me like, oh my God, what's that? That looks so good. I would just say, ask the bartender to surprise me. I don't know what it is, but it's really good and fruity and nice. What are you drinking? Right. And so you don't have to answer, like you can kind of navigate around questions like that, but blending in helps me a lot. Um, If you have friends that are really pushy, like I've had those friends that try to push a drink on me, like I've had friends even put drinks like up to my face and offer me a sip, or I've had people say like, I'm only getting a drink if you will. And it's like, well, I'm 29 days sober. So like, no. Yeah. Um, So things like that, you just have to stay to know. And just keep it short. Like we want to make excuses. Oh, I'm on antibiotics. Or like, I don't drink, but I'm still fun. I promise. Or like all of these excuses, like I have to drive. When you make excuses or you explain, you invite in solutions to your problem. Like, oh, you don't have to drive. Like you can stay over or you can, we can get you an Uber or this person can drive you. Right. So just so true. And if you were on antibiotics, like that's nobody's business. Like you don't, you don't have to explain like no is enough. And like, I just say, no, I don't drink. No, thank you. No, I'm good. Like I've had someone the first time I ever went to a party sober. Um, she was like, you sure you don't want one? Yep. I'm good. I'm good. 
but you love wine. Like you sure? Like, why don't you want wine? I'm like, no, really? I'm good. I am good over and over and over. I'm good. I'm good. No, thank you. No, thank you. I don't have to explain because she doesn't care about my explanation. Like she's not going to be like, oh, okay. That makes perfect sense. Like, thanks. She wanted me to partake too. Right. Just keep saying no. So I would just stand firm in your no. And it might feel weird, but like nobody cares. Like she doesn't care why I'm not drinking. She just cares that somebody's not drinking, you know? So people only care about themselves. They don't care about your antibiotics. It's so true. And I feel like, yeah, maybe they're going to be annoying for that like couple of minutes, but then they'll probably keep drinking. And also people just by nature are a little bit self-absorbed. And after a few minutes, they probably will just forget all about you (laughs) and the fact that you didn't want to get a drink with them. Yep. Yeah. The first hour is when those kind of questions can come in and then no one cares. And we always build it up that people are going to care way more than they end up caring. Like I, the first time I ever did a wedding sober, I thought like everyone was going to revolt and like ask me the whole time. And, and actually no one asked me until the end of the night. I had one girl ask me at the very end of the night, And she was, cause I wasn't even carrying anything anymore. I wasn't even doing the blend in anymore. Like I didn't care. And she was like, oh, you're not drinking. And I was like, yeah, no, I don't drink. And she was like, wow, ever. And I was like, no, I don't. And then she asked if it was okay, if she could ask more. And I said, sure. And she was like, did you used to drink? And I said, yes. And all she said was, that's really great. Good for you. In a, in a good way. Like yeah, she was that's happy a nice for me. interaction. And that was it. And yeah. no one else cared the whole, she was the only one that asked. Nobody yeah. cared. And I think that's also a good point too, that like we were saying, people are afraid to talk about this stuff. So also maybe don't jump to the defense too, because maybe someone is genuinely curious because they're like, Wayne, I kind of have had these thoughts that I want to not drink. And like, how does that go? And like, you're fun and you're normal. And like, you know what I mean? Like, and people aren't jumping down your throat about it, you know? And I think also when people push or make comments, a lot of times they're projecting their own insecurities too. So I think I heard, I don't know where I heard this, but um, something like try to give everyone the benefit of the doubt that like, everyone's doing their best with what they have. And it kind of takes a little bit of that, like jumping to defense mode or like, how dare you kind of mode, you know? Yeah. Like some people will be like, well, why are you drinking? Why do you drink then? And it's like, whoa, (laughs) you don't have to go there. Like sometimes it's just an automatic question. Like if we were at a birthday party and I didn't have a slice of cake or something, people would be like, oh, you're not going to have cake. It's just like an automatic, you know, totally, especially if they've always seen you drink, then they're just going to be like, oh, you're not drinking. Like they just notice it and it just kind of like pops out. It's nothing. It's something like personal. Right. Totally. Um, Okay. So we are right at the end of our time. So let's round it out with a little rapid fire round. Very ready. Awesome. Um, Okay. A non-negotiable in your everyday, speaking of 
coping mechanisms and doing the things that we know will help us in the long term. So what is one of yours? My morning walk. I wake up and I immediately go on a walk to Starbucks and I have to do it every day for my happiness level. I love that. My walk is also my non-negotiable, yep. also because I have like a maniac of a dog <laughs> and he needs it. But for both of our mental health, it really helps. <laughs> um, okay. One, if you do them, I don't know if you do, either one like self-affirmation that helped you with your self-confidence or anything like that while you were quitting drinking, like kind of building up that self-worth? I kind of have two that I repeat depending on, you know, when. If I'm feeling like badly about myself or I worry people are mad at me often. <laughs> Ugh. People pleaser. I yep. feel ya. <laughs> I'm trying, but. <laughs> We're doing our best. <laughs> I just repeat, you are safe. Oh, I love that. And then if I'm nervous, like if I'm going to speak or something like in person or like I'm worried about kind of whatever, I just repeat like, you're a badass. Like I hype myself up kind of like that. And yeah, that one helps too. So two very different that. scenarios. No, I love both of those so much. Um, and then similarly, something you wish that you could tell your younger self. Uh, so many things. Um, I think I would say, please go to therapy. I don't know. Yeah. I would say so many things like, please don't embarrass yourself all the time. <laughs> like, I would just say, please find a good therapist. Yeah. Find someone really good. And then yeah. they'll hopefully help with all, all of the rest of the stuff. Yeah. Totally same. But also you have to be ready to take that on. So yeah, we're doing, we're all, <laughs> all just doing our best out here. Um, okay. And then last one, I'm almost always blank. Hyped up and excitable. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Um, awesome. Well, seriously, thank you so much for coming on. This was such a great conversation. So helpful. Um, and hype yourself up. Where can everybody find you? So if you search for Sober Powered, you'll find me. That's my show, my Instagram. Um, that's also my Facebook group. If anyone's sober curious and wants a safe spot to hang out. That's great. I love it. Um, all right. Well, and I'll link to your podcast and your Instagram and everything in the show notes, but thank you so much again. I hope that you have a fabulous rest of your day. Thank you for listening to the Build with Brayback podcast. Stay connected on Instagram at Build with Brayback and our website, www.buildwithbrayback.com. Show a little love by rating and reviewing, sharing with your friends, and of course, subscribing so you don't ever miss an episode. Until next week, keep on building.